everyone. Welcome to Green and Gold, the podcast about weed and how its legalization impacts you, the people. By now, I hope you checked out our trailer, which gives you some insight to the format and reasoning behind building an entire podcast about weed. But if not, let me quickly catch you up. I'm Haley Fox, a cannabis reporter in Los Angeles. I've discovered that there's so much going on in this industry, we really need to be able to discuss the issues offline and, well, together in a podcast like this one. So whether you're an everyday smoker or someone dabbling in the industry or are really just curious about what all this pot talk means, this is the podcast for you. We're kicking off the show with a topic that's hugely important and not discussed nearly enough. It's called social equity. This basically refers to the way that cities and states are trying to address decades of disproportionate policing against minority communities. Latinos and African Americans have been arrested and prosecuted for marijuana possession, sales, and other crimes at dramatically higher rates than their white counterparts. This is all despite the fact that many studies have shown all these demographic groups commit cannabis crimes at roughly the same rates. This really kind of striking unnerving imbalance is documented with data from as recently as last year, so this is not a phenomenon that's over and done with. Let's look at Los Angeles, for example. According to numbers from the LAPD, Black residents make up just 9% of LA's total population, but they accounted for 40% of cannabis-related arrests between the years 2000 and 2017. This becomes even more alarming when you compare it to the fact that white people make up 28% of the population, yet only accounted for 6% of arrests. So now that weed is legal, cities are figuring out how to at least begin to address all this wrong. Each place has been approaching the issue slightly differently, but typically cities like Los Angeles and Oakland and San Francisco establish a set of criteria for who should qualify for what they've called the social equity program. Like if the applicant has been arrested for a cannabis-related crime, or if they live in a neighborhood with exceptionally high cannabis arrest rates, they get priority when applying for a cannabis license. In fact, even California is looking into how it can implement some of these programs at the statewide level, or at least provide the financial support needed to bolster these local programs. After all, letting people cut to the front of the line is just one part of the deal. Many people think priority licensing isn't enough, and there needs to be funding. This could be in the form of a low-interest loan, or through a type of incubator model, where established companies partner with equity applicants and basically help them get their businesses up and running. But enough from me, let's get to our interview. What you gonna do when the people go home and you wanna smoke weed but the reefer's all gone and somebody had the nerve to take the herb out of the doobie ashtray why they do me that way. Today we're talking with Esteban Araya, one of the very people who's applying for a license to sell cannabis in LA through LA's social equity program. He's a lifelong Angelino and has a very personal, deep-rooted connection to the industry. Here's Esteban. Uh, so my my mother, when we were, uh, you know, very young, about eight years old, nine years old, she was, you know, incarcerated for uh, the transportation of uh, marijuana. At the time, of course, we didn't understand what was going on, uh, but there was, you know, foster care and, uh, you know, prison terms that were had to be served. Um, you know, 20 years later, 10, 15 years later was when I realized what it was for, and why all of that, you know, those those events took place. 
Um, and, you know, just coincidentally, as the market started to open up, you know, recreational and legal market and cannabis, you know, I, you know, started to pay attention with what, you know, the trends that were going on. And I decided to, you know, stop what I was doing, which was in real estate and lending for seven, eight years and decided to, you know, involve myself in the in the cannabis market. Given this whole background too, like what was your mom's reaction when you first told her that this is an industry, first of all, that was now legal and that it was something you wanted to get involved with? Make sure you read all of the laws that are taking place. Be careful, please. Mm-hmm. And don't do anything that's illegal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a conversation that it's more, you know, you know what you're doing. Just be careful. There's a a difference between, um, you know, like you said, your mom saying, okay, go ahead, but be careful. And then her also signing on to at least on paper, right, be a part of it. Right. Because for people who are listening, um, uh, you're qualifying for the social equity program um, with the help of his mom, who because of this prior conviction basically gets top priority right. processing, right? Right. So how did you manage to convince her to not only be supportive, but kind of sign on for this whole process also? And what is what's her reaction been so far? Well, you know, her reaction at the beginning was, you know, he's, you know, involved in something and doing something. But really, I just told her just to trust me mm-hmm. and to basically, I would just send her the regulations. And I said, hey, can you please read this? This is very important. Um, I'm going to need you to know these things because eventually, you know, there are going to be people that are going to ask you about this. And uh, basically, you know, now she, you know, understanding that this is something, you know, pretty you know, substantial or, you know, real, you know, it's not a common thing to read a program that offers these type of opportunities. Mm -hmm. And also the program itself doesn't create anything for you unless you, you know, you go out and you have to also put these pieces together. Mm -hmm. So unless we actually went out and searched for what we needed and put it together and then brought the city to make it a reality, then it would just be more than, it would just be a, you know, just dream. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you about too, is, you know, the social equity program in theory is supposed to provide people not only with priority processing, but also um, financial help and uh, mentorship and all these things. As of now, the program has no money. You, like you said, basically put your whole deal together yourself. Right. And so I'm wondering, you know, is the social equity program helping you at all or where yes, do you think definitely. it could be 100%. doing better? I mean, it wouldn't, it, it, it is doing a lot of good. Um, I think that it's just the process of letting people understand that it really does exist and it's something that's real. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think uh, now that they're putting the program together, it's maybe appointing somebody uh, that can really vet out some of the social equities and really sit with them and, and go through their, you know, their application process or what exactly is their their plan of approach. And um, as well as just communicating with people, you know what I mean, that that would otherwise maybe give up or not understand what's available to them. So I think the program, it really does work. It, it definitely does. But it doesn't work if you don't work. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that think social equity is stupid, that they're giving opportunities to just felons and wasting their time. And it's not really that because, you know, I could argue with all of them every single time and say I didn't need social. E- I mean, not that I didn't need social equity, but I was there before social equity was created mm-hmm. to do this. And I'm sure I'm not the only person in, the, in those circumstances. But, you know, people tend to, you know, kind of, you know, judge things very quickly or, you know, have their own agendas. Or I think that it's something very new and people need to take the time to, 
you know, kind of understand the mechanics of what's going on. Um, and everything has happened so fast. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, miscommunication, mm -hmm. you know, so. I mean, I know you said in when we spoke before how um, if all goes well, I mean, you're basically setting yourself and your family up for decades of, you know, yes. income basically of stability. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that, like how you, how you plan. And I know it might be hard to see now as it's still struggling to get up and running, right. but kind of how this is, could really be a game changer for your family. Well, it's just a substantial amount. I mean, it's a window of opportunity that's bigger than others, of course. So there's, you know, substantial amount of opportunity and being able to start different businesses. Of course, there's, you know, capital that's necessary and a lot of things that go with it. But overall, there is definitely a huge amount of opportunity. Can it, you know, represent cash flow for the family, the ability to create something and, um, you know, involve, you know, multiple people? I mean, financially... You know, I'm one person I always say, I don't count my chickens until they hatch, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you do look at the projections, um, it, it definitely can provide a substantial amount of, of, of uh, money, depending on what you do with it, of course, uh, to to help help the family. I mean, multi, multi-generational wealth, absolutely. Just, you know, how you, you decide, who you, you partner up with, very important as well, who you're doing business with. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you if you could walk us through, so um, you have two locations that you're currently holding, I guess, basically right. one in El Sereno and one in South LA and Southeast Los Angeles. Southeast Los Angeles. Um, yeah. And I know the El Sereno one you've had for even longer. Right. How walk me through kind of how that happened? Like, did you find a partner to help with the money from the get go? I know you've been sitting on the property for a long time and because of delays with the city have right. not been able to rent it out. So kind of tell me about what has it been stop and go? Have you been doing construction there? Kind of what has the last year and a half been like? Yeah. So the the property, um, we, we acquired it before the city had released any maps of what the zoning would be. So you were just doing your best guess of... Best guess. Mm -hmm. Found maps from a 2007-8 when they were first releasing the original licensing or original permits for the original pre-ICO dispensaries. For, the, for everyone listening, that's just the original medical marijuana collectives. Collectives, right. Like 135. They The city planning did release a general map of what they wanted in that time you know gotcha. so when I found that and that was you know and through the city clerk's records I then you know made the assumption I said well if that was when things were much harder and much more you know they were being scrutinized then I imagine it would be a little bit easier now so mm -hmm. I said I'm going to base it off of this map and hopefully you know I'm in I'm in the I'm in the in the, in the green yeah <laughs> so so we purchased the building which is something to take you know it is a little bit of a risk you know but we did get a good deal the only thing that happened was that then everything just got extended, mm -hmm. you know, for months and months at the time, interest, the building was falling apart. Um, so nobody wanted to invest with us because nobody saw that vision. Nobody understood, hey, this can turn into something. Everybody was like, well, where's the license? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, where are the regs? You know, what what guarantees you to be different? And this was, you know, before social equity. And so we, we had to kind of deal with a lot of that and just, you know, continue to, uh, you know, maintain a building that's, you know, uh, 
was obviously producing no kind of income, you know, so $2,200 a month, you know, it's, it's a lot of money in certain situations, just, just on interest. I mean, every, every month, uh, plus people trying to break in and into the building and, oh, really? and live in the building. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that was already a problem as it is. And so, um, so that, that, you know, that was the process. Um, we, we got lucky though. Uh, my, my, one of my partners actually, he, he wanted us to sell the building. He was like, I'm done. I want to get out of the building. And I was like, can we give it a more, a little more chance, a little more time? And, um, you know, the good thing is that somebody came in and said, Hey, you know, I kind of see your guys's vision and I want to be part of it. Um, I have a little more capital, uh, let me come in with you guys. You guys make me partner and I will r- basically write it out with you guys, uh-huh. write out this this process with you. And uh, we were really reluctant for a while. We really thought about it. I mean, obviously letting somebody we don't know come into the business with us, uh, but we knew we needed to. We, mm-hmm. we, I mean, deep down we knew that we didn't have enough money to continue to sustain this. Um, so we made that we made that decision and, um, you know, it's been a blessing at the same time as well. Um, but they're, they've been right there with us and allowed us to then go and find another building. Uh, so it's just been a process, a lot of, you know, waiting. But yes, plans and permits, you know, sitting on them, repairing the building, bringing it up to code, um, you know, all of those things are just money and just hopes, you know, of hoping that this will be something that um, will materialize. And so you had said, it. right, that you even had had a tenant in there to offset costs, but right. then had them leave because you thought that it, the, pla- the, 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 licensing the licensing would be available from April. They had said this was going to become in April. Yeah. So we're in August. We thought we were going to be in the door April 1st. And so that did not happen. We're far from it. What is your vision for the dispensary? Like, do you have a name yet? Is there a certain layout? Is there something you want to do that's different than others? Like, what's the whole vibe going to be? Definitely. Uh, yes. So we want to call it the, the destination joint. So that's the destination joint, the destination awesome. joint, right? Um, both on both locations. And uh, we do have plans and, and layouts for what the dispensaries will look like. I think, you know, there's only one word, which is sexy. They're definitely be sexy. <laughs> which is not a word you hear associated with dispensaries very often. Right? So exactly. very intrigued. But. Yeah, definitely. That's why we haven't been able to open because we have to wait for all of this other stuff going on. <laughs> I know you've talked before about kind of having to sit on your hands and watch illegal businesses pop up. And and that's obviously a big thing still that people don't really realize is that despite all the legal businesses, there's a total flourishing illegal business. Yeah. So I guess what has your experience been there? Like what have you seen and how how have you managed to kind of hold out? And- I'm not doing it. Yeah. yeah. Because there was, I mean, to be honest with you, there were times where I was like, you know what, to even my partner, I was like, fuck this. Yeah. We need to open up and start operating because, you know, God knows what's going to happen and everyone else is doing it. You know, we cannot sustain and we didn't. The truth was we just in our hearts felt that 
that wasn't something we were that was for us or we were going to get away with. Mm -hmm. I felt like we had already done so much to be the opposite, communicating consistently with the city and letting them know, even when they send out the city on us because they thought that we were going to try to open and operate. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the deputy director of El Sereno, um, when we reached out to him and let him know, like, you know, this is our goal, this is our plan uh, to operate here, you know, and a week late, not even a week later, he sent the fire department on us and he sent the, the city on us to, to make sure what we were doing there. And I actually got back in contact with him and said, Hey man, you know, we were never planning on operating. You know, we just told you and yeah, he find us on trash. That wasn't even ours. It was from the previous tenant. So we had to pay for that and get those things moved out. But now he's actually a friend and he's, you know, and I quote, he emailed me and he said, I really appreciate you guys taking the time and not operating and waiting and being so patient. Mm -hmm. If there's anybody that should get a license, I believe it's you guys. And that's so, really, that's got to be really nice to hear after it, all it this was, time. Yeah, after a year and a half of yeah. constant, yeah, definitely. How do you feel born and raised in LA? Do you think that's helped you at all in terms of like going into communities, like you said, and actually kind of showing an investment where I know a lot of people getting in the cannabis business here are either from out of town or from, you know, they're, they don't necessarily have an investment in the neighborhood. A hundred percent. So I'm curious, like, if you think that's helped you and kind of how that's come up at all. One hundred percent. I think that's such a big part, a big factor that makes us different from a lot of the individuals that have wanted or have been investing into these neighborhoods. Me going out and in the just in the last two years, understanding what was going on, you know, some of these dispensaries, you know, I would find dispensaries in South Central LA and Compton and all these neighborhoods. And then I would trace their LLCs back to Encino, to Woodland Hills, right? So I understood that, you know, none of these individuals were ever part of those communities and didn't understand those communities and were most likely not investing any of their money back into those communities. Mm -hmm. You know, we were born in these communities. I was grew, I grew up around all of these individuals. I understand the, the neighborhood and uh, being able to speak with people and understanding them at a different level is very important. And, you know, genuinely knowing that those profits are not all going to go into our pockets, but, you know, again, really, see the value of, of the reinvestment program into the community, helping, you know, for infrastructure, for, um, you know, youth centers, you know, this is all very important to me. I think that without those things, I wouldn't be in a position that I am now mm -hmm. uh, growing up, you know, uh, the lack of those things were sometimes devastating. Um, I think it was, it was, it was, it was a very driving factor to why we did this. It wasn't only monetary gain. I, I knew it from the very beginning. Money was not the only thing that was driving us in this. It was really also the social difference that we could do in that community. Mm -hmm. so, well, and so it. I'm curious what you think, you know, the city, you mentioned community reinvestment, right. which um, is basically the city's trying to work on setting aside a pool of money that will go right. back into these very neighborhoods you're talking about. As of right now, there's still no like, hard plan on that at no, all or no. money set aside. And that's been a big criticism of the city. I'm curious, you know, you're in it and you obviously have these priorities. What do you think should be done to make sure that there's money set aside for these? I mean, what do you think, I guess, is the is the solution or should be the plan going forward? I think that there should be a group of social equity applicants that are conscious of the opportunity that they have in front of them, which is priority licensing. 
I think that the city's doing a lot by even putting that together. I believe that us as applicants should definitely be conscious of that and implement ourselves, a group of individuals that want to help and put some of our own funds back into these programs if we really choose to. It's not something that anybody has to has to do, but I think it's important to remember, you know, why we are doing this or why this program ex exists or why people have even put this together. Um, what the city is going to do, I, you know, I, you know, I, like I say, I, I, I encourage it or I, I look forward to it. I, I, I hope that it, it is developed, but I definitely won't wait around for them. That's mm -hmm. for sure. So like taking a step back, obviously LA has this program, you know, Oakland has the social equity program. It's become a thing that at least cities are talking about or considering. Why do you think from a wider view, this is an important discussion to have? Well, thinking about it now when you're older, having my mom been taken away for something that now is legal and people are scrambling to get licensing and sell and all of this other stuff that's going on and how everyone talks about it. such an amazing opportunity, even myself. At that moment, it was one of the most devastating things in my life to have my mother and, you know, us go to some random person's house, going through all kinds of abuse. It was definitely something to, it's, it's a little bit of a, I don't think a lot of people will understand that when on the other side of the spectrum, there's been so much, you know, suffering because of something that now is producing so much, I guess, happiness or monetary gains. Um, so it's, you know, again, I didn't really even understand to process until these things were being developed to really understand that it really did affect us. I mean, substantially. And I don't think I would be the only person. I think that we were just one of many, many people. Mm -hmm. So it's just important to to continue to, you know, let people know, you know, what what this program really socially is. And I know that there's a lot of individuals that don't see it that way and they think it's a waste of time. But I think they just don't know what the fuck they're talking about. That was Esteban Araya. If you're in L.A., you should be able to check out his shop, The Destination Joint, coming very soon. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening to the very first episode of Green and Gold. This is all coming to you from the Table Cakes Podcast Network, which is responsible for all sorts of weird and wonderful shows you won't find elsewhere. I'm so happy to have you here with me. Please hit me up on Twitter at EPFox with questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes. All right, stay tuned, buds. 